ultimately, it doesn't matter if you're for abortion or not, but that absolute fear, those dynamics, anti-science, euphemism... It's March 2020. ...spaces and exclude people. We're going to ban conscience rights. We'll make sure anyone who opposes us is seen as an extremist. We'll call them a bigot, intolerant... National MP Simon O'Connor's on his feet and speaking in Parliament's debating chamber. All of this points to great fear and weakness. He's speaking in the third reading of the abortion legislation bill, which took abortion out of the Crimes Act. It'll probably get me into trouble, but one thing I do want to say uh, to the good people, and I won't translate uh, for here, but it's mihi vindicta ego retrobawum dici dominus. I'll translate it for you. It means vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. It's from the Bible. Simon O'Connor was speaking his conscience on that bill. He did it again as a fourth-term MP and again on the issue of abortion in a Facebook post in June 2022. His post on the day Roe v Wade was overturned by the US Supreme Court said... Today is a good day. On a background of hearts. National Party leader Christopher Luxon, who's also anti-abortion told him to take the post down. At a media stand-up at the time, Simon O'Connor was asked by One News political editor Jessica Much Mackay... What is your message to women in your elite church who are offended by O'Connor? Oh, well, I think important for them to share their views. I've never been... Um, well, I've never hidden my pro-life views, including with the debates a few years ago, but I encourage them, as they always have, yeah, to speak to me, let me know. Seems the electorate took him at his word. Last month, Mr O'Connor saw his run of huge electorate winning margins come to an end. Brooke Van Velden, who'd previously run as an ACT candidate in two different seats and placed fifth and third, stormed to a comfortable 4,000-vote winning margin in Tamaki. Simon O'Connor's anti-abortion position has been cited as a reason for his defeat. Well, it, it initially wasn't about Brooke. It was about him tweeting about Roe versus Wade. I spoke to Lynn Kempthorne. She's a businesswoman who lives in St Heliers in the Tamaki electorate. And, you know, women of all ages suddenly went, uh-oh, we don't like this. And then we started to look into him and found that uh, we have a religious right-winger here, you know, who espouses Trump. And then suddenly came along Brooke and she was so visible and we had an alternative. And um, I can tell you, she just, I think it was the way she just handled things quietly. She was seen out there. She was working. She's got quite a presence. You know, I've employed a lot of people in my life and um, she's just got that X factor. She really engages with you. She makes good eye contact and she listens, which is, you know, quite unusual for politicians. <laughs> um, you mentioned that you were amazed at how she handled the older um, men. Older yes. men. Yeah, tell me a bit about how she handled older men. <laughs> One of them invited her along to the golf club. And, you know, the older men, they're, they're pretty stick in the mud, you know. Well, she went along. And I said to them, one of them afterwards, I said, oh, how did it go? I hear you had Brooke along. He says, oh, yes, 
she's prime minister material <laughs> so it was it was quite quite amusing really because you know as women we were all really pleased that a lovely young woman and i think it helps that she's a nice looking young woman and um even though it's not meant to but i think it does um and you know she always had a beautiful pink coat on and um yeah she's very engaging and Lynn Kempthorne says she wasn't alone in zeroing in on Roe v. Wade. I think a woman has the right to decide what she does. Shouldn't be decided by any men. And I was quite surprised because, you know, at the golf club, I play businesswoman golf. And there's a range of ages. And it was amazing how across the board the women were opposed to that. Even the religious ones even the ones that still go to church. I knew a month before that she was going to do it because you could just feel it out there. Whatever she did, which, and I think it was just quiet listening, it worked. It mm. worked. And not being a hothead or, uh, or aggro or, you know, angry. She's not an angry woman. Um, yeah, it, it appealed. Tamaki is not just any old national seat. It's been national since 1960, when Robert Muldoon won it. And Simon O'Connor didn't just lose the seat. Brooke Van Velden won it off him, with a combination of good timing and shrewd campaign tactics. As far back as her maiden speech in 2020, she was creating a record that would contrast her candidacy sharply with Simon O'Connor's. I want to be part of more positive change in New Zealand. For me, that does not mean putting forward ideas about how I think New Zealanders should act or to impose my morality on others. I am here to listen, to ask questions and stand up for the dignity and freedoms of each individual New Zealander. I believe in creating laws that respect the inherent dignity of every New Zealander and provide choice and opportunity. It is why I firmly stand in favour of bodily autonomy. Bodily autonomy. It's right there. Liam Hare's a political commentator on the right and friend of Simon O'Connor's. This was a, an actual clash between two strands of the right, uh, you know, between libertarianism and conservatism, and it was the subtext of the race. But often it wasn't just subtext, it was text, especially from the act end. I mean, Simon tried to, Simon did try to run a, a relatively conciliatory campaign. I think he obviously understood that, you know, New Zealand is a pro-choice country on the whole. And, you know, so he tended to talk about, you know, how his, he, as a constituency MP, you know, he helped anyone who came to him. He talked talk about those things and he tried to diffuse the issue that way. It didn't work in the face of the challenge from Brooke Van Velden. National has for many years described itself as a broad church for members with a range of different views on social and moral questions. But of late, there's been tension within the party about the place for faith. Alfred Naro, a socially conservative Christian, quit the party after losing his seat in 2020. He now leads the New Zeal Party. You know, um, I know that when I was in the National Party, they, they always used to have this phrase, 
we're such a broad church, you know, we've got it from liberals to conservatives and everyone else in between. But it just felt over a period of time, it kept on progressively moving further and further down to a more sort of liberal end of the spectrum, if you want to call it that, and further away from those sort of conservative values, which has been a foundation of our country and our, and our nation's politics. Both Alfred Naro and Simon O'Connor were among a group of national MPs, nicknamed the Taliban because of their hardline views, who wore their hearts on their sleeve, as well as their social media accounts. You know, I started to realise that it was the conservatives versus what they would call the progressives, you know. And I felt like, you know, your conservative values are old, they're traditional, they're irrelevant. Our faith and our values are not like a pair of shoes you take outside, you, you take off at the front door when you enter into a house or a building and because they sit inside of you. Nationals leader Christopher Luxon is also a Christian conservative, but he's kept it out of his politics. Liam Hare says it's pretty obvious why. We never really knew where to fit Luxon in because while Luxon might have that personal um, faith, he's a CEO of Air New Zealand, right? Like he's a corporate guy. And you don't survive in any corporate environment by being a, you know, a thundering social conservative you know like that's just not where corporate culture is it hasn't been for a long time right so you know i like because of that background you know like he would never be i don't think a champion for social conservatism he might he might vote that way as a conscience vote but he was but he's not he he embodies i think that separation of personal religion and politics um that um that I think has is, is normally been the case in New Zealand, uh, informed, in fact, of course, by the fact that the, the thing he cares most about is being Prime Minister and winning, right? And uh, becoming a social conserv- a, a, a fire-breathing social conservative is, is quite dangerous to that ambition. But Brooke Van Velden or ACT must have picked up that there was that opportunity to dominate that space. And, uh, you know, I, I think that had that dynamic not been in play, if it had just been Brooke Van Velden Running to that camp, running in that lecture to try and be another strong voice for you know for Tamaki, she wouldn't have had a chance. But they 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 leveraged that issue so well. Associate Professor Dr. Susan Fountain from Massey University's School of Communication, Journalism, and Marketing has previously researched young women political candidates. I didn't get any sense from Brooke that she was pushing a particular kind of gender-driven policy, you know, that she didn't take multiple opportunities to talk about um, how, you know, ACT policies might benefit women or whatever. So I I feel like it probably was leaning into a a bit of a cultural moment, taking advantage of that, knowing that the the optics of that were not going to play out negatively for the ACT party. For the Tamaki electorate particularly, though, I suppose... um... It did come into quite sharp focus. She she was going for the electorate vote as well as for the party vote, which is different to the vast majority of ACT candidates. Yeah. But because she's a young woman in the pink up against Simon O'Connor uh, and his Christian conservatism, I suppose, brand of national, did that mean that she almost didn't have to say in some ways, some of the things about women, because Simon was saying it for her. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting possibility. In some ways, it does seem like a potentially quite strategic choice of a place to um, have a young female act candidate 
running an electorate campaign because as you say a, a candidate who was perhaps on the back foot a lot of relatively negative media coverage um, of Simon leading up to the election and during the last um, term of government. And Liam Hare says while Simon O'Connor had support in the caucus it was less forthcoming more broadly from the leadership of National. I mean I think that's pretty much an open secret um, because he was a, um, a pain right it was a, a stone in the shoe because he didn't want to put his faith into a box but he didn't want to put his values into a box. I know that the, this particular cycle, um, the national team um, insisted they only ever wanted to be talking about crime and the cost of living. And, you know, any time that someone's bringing up a position where 50 to 60% of the population is against you, 35% are with you and the rest don't know, that's a huge distraction from that. It's, it's, not, a, it's not conducive to an election victory and it's, they, it's seen as a bit of an own goal, really, especially if you could just keep your mouth shut and not say anything about it. Nonetheless, there was no official deal for ACT, either in Epsom or for its neighbour, Tamaki. But national grandee Paula Bennett appeared on Instagram having a cuppa with Brooke Van Velden. Listen to National's socially liberal deputy leader Nicola Willis on Newstalk ZB in early October. What's up with Paula Bennett endorsing Brooke Van Velden in Tamaki? I don't answer for Paula Bennett. Did you look um, at that and think, bingo, Paula, or did you think, mate, that's not helpful? Well, I, 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 and I thought it wasn't helpful because I think that Simon O'Connor is a hard-working local MP uh, and I want to see him win that electorate. Do, do you think he can? Yes, I do. OK, are you going to give Paula a call? No. It speaks to that wrestle going on within National. And Liam Hare was shocked. Paula Bennett, like, endorsed um, Brooklyn Belden with a cup of tea, right? Oh, that was pretty scandalous if you're a National Party guy. You know, it's like, the, you don't, Nets don't do that to each other. But, you know, Paula Bennett's the biggest fundraiser for the party. And for her to basically endorse Van Velden, that's, that was pretty, that was quite something, really. And, uh, you know, she's got good, strong name recognition. And uh, that probably had its effect too, right? That's that that's creates a permission structure for that voters to say, oh, right, well, you know, if Paula Bennett's having uh, endorsing um, the, the challenger, maybe it's okay for me to, to break faith and uh, vote for, for BVV this time around. While Simon O'Connor lost the seat, the party vote for National in Tamaki was a long way ahead of every other party. Clear evidence of the personal endorsement voters gave Brooke Van Velden over Mr O'Connor. There's anecdotal evidence she had support from some left-leaning voters holding their nose and giving ACT their candidate vote to oust Simon O'Connor. And Dr Susan Fountain says what worked for Brooke Van Velden in Tamaki was also important for ACT's leadership pairing at a national level. She brought something different, something fresh to the party's brand. It was um, Brooke in David's, Barbie and Ken, um, if you like, but the optics of it um, are, it's almost maybe like a hygiene factor, right? You know, you, you have, you've covered both bases, you're presenting some kind of image of gender balance. Raising the idea of Barbie and Ken, I hadn't thought about David Seymour as Ken. It was actually a story about David Seymour.
take a look at this of act leader David Seymour. <laughs> or King. Is oh, it party for King. It's quite elaborate. Somebody's really taken the time, haven't they? And uh, David Seymour has posted about this and said he loves it. He loves the Kennedy that it's bringing. <laughs> so he said it's the, uh, the only billboard that's been vandalised um, on the act side that they will keep up. I'm just I think I came across this because he had posted it on his Facebook page. Uh, there was a billboard that somebody had made over and made him into Ken, you know, in, a, in an example of a, a billboard perhaps being improved by graffiti. Um, it was a, a Ken doll look. Um, I think he was quite taken with it. He can't dance as well as Ryan Gosling, but he's given it a go, right? Exactly, yeah. Brooke Van Velden leaned coolly into the zeitgeist. And I think the kind of cultural moment of the Barbie movie probably um, helped give her some reference points. And in fact, um, in one of the online videos that she has, she references the Barbie movie herself. If you do get some time to yourself, Brock, and head to the movies, is it Barbie or Oppenheimer? It is Barbie. Honestly, if Oppenheimer had a Ken dance segment, then maybe, but definitely Barbie. Often she talks about, um, you know, it's always good to have a little bit more pink in the mix. So she was clearly um, going hard on, on the pink component. And I guess also the fact that, I mean, I think this was connected to the Barbie movie, pink was the colour of the year, right? Pink. One of the act colours. And it has cultural connotations that Brooke Van Velden also mirrors. It kind of softens the image. It's a way to potentially reach a new group of voters because generally um, in New Zealand, women tend to vote on the centre-left rather than the centre-right. You know, the typical act voter is is male of a certain age, probably from a rural area. So having Brooke as the deputy leader offers them a way into a different group of voters, you know, a more perhaps a younger, urban, possibly female voter group. So I suspect that that was only ever going to be helpful to X, you know, desire to grow their party vote, you know, because you've got to you've got to find new groups of voters, right? Susan Fountain says there are ways Brooke Van Velden communicates, which are common of many women politicians. Different to men, they need to be seen as busy and likable. Her decision to freeze her eggs um, because she's so busy, <laughs> she doesn't have time for a relationship. And and at this point, I guess one of the ways that you can um, demonstrate um, busyness without opening yourself up to criticism is if you don't have children. Because if you were a woman MP out on the trail saying you work seven days a week, you can be sure you would be getting some negative pushback about you know who's looking after the kids and you should be spending some time um, at home. So. At this sort of point in time, she can kind of use some of those things in a way that doesn't necessarily backfire right now. But you can sort of see how not only are they kind of strategic act choices that reflect party policies, etc., around act, but that they also allow her to say things that are kind of non-offensive in a way. Because again, you know, choice always sounds like such a great thing to have, doesn't it? We all want. We want choice and we all think hard work is great. So it's quite a superficial um, positioning, really. But there may be a difficult balance for her from here on in. 
theorists in this area or people concerned about women's representation do talk about this double bind of competence and likability. And it famously, um, Hillary Rodham Clinton was, you know, not deemed as kind of likable enough um, to become a president. And that was something that kind of dogged her as well. So the likability, it, it kind of... Um, it helps and it can help at particular points and it can be used against you if you don't have it. But then, as you say, it's not necessarily always durable. And once you're in government or you're in an area where you have to make the harder decisions, then it can be harder to hold on to that kind of likability. And what of Simon O'Connor? Is this the end of his political career? I wanted to ask him, but he didn't reply to any of my calls, messages or texts. But Alfred Naro's spoken to him since that election loss. To be in the position that he was in, where he held or holds the views that he holds and he lost his seat, perhaps partly as a result of it, um, must be pretty bruising. Yeah, it is. And look, I've spoken to Simon and, um, you know, he you know, has served that community well. And it is tough when you, you think that, you know, that's, the situation there where um, the people have felt, but you know that's that's what happens when you step into public office, right? Every three years, it's a job. You're basically going out for a job interview, and whether people feel locally, you can still do the job for them, and represent them in that regard. So, well, um, that's what they've voted for. That's what people have wanted. Um, so, you know, let's see what happens. Um, you know, there's that old saying: hey, "Be careful what you wish for." You think he might join your party? <laughs> I don't know. We haven't talked about that, honestly, Susie. Um, but uh, you know, we'd be happy to have him uh, if he if that's what he desired. 